0: Free parking. The little things that we don't think about and take for granted have a way of shaping our days. This becomes so obvious to me in December. It's not the holidays that fill me with joy so much as the free parking. The town of Hudson makes their meters free for the month. Businesses cover the meters out front with wrapping paper or festive bags, and life instantly becomes more joyful. All those well-worn paths, the gentle gyrations we do to feed the parking meter beast, are gone. The freedom is a gift that brings the tyranny of paid parking into focus. I know a small-town world of parking is nothing compared to places like New York City and Chicago— London. I've written many paragraphs, whole blogs even, about the pain of alternate side and parking apps. Upstate, it's relatively benign. Four quarters buys an hour. A ticket costs the measly sum of ten dollars. But these things add up, and so does the constant dance of thwarting the guys, up here it's only guys, who write the tickets. I started my day working at the bookstore bar by strolling on the sidewalk with the festive out-of-towners and unlocking and entering through the front door rather than making my way through the rustic back alley where we're lucky to have parking in back of the building. As alleys go like a lot of things about Hudson it's colorful and charming and pretty safe but a little scary at times. Coming through the front door, I had to bat away baying customers who'd been walking up and down the main drag, Warren Street, for two hours. They were caffeinated and raring to get shopping. This ain't the city, folks. It's kind of cute how purposeful they all are, even in their days off on vacation. Gotta get this done. But it's sweet. I pulled the door shut behind me and locked it before anyone could push their way in, and then I ignored the tapping on the glass as there's a sign on the door with the store hours, turned on the lights, counted the drawer, poured my takeout coffee into a pottery mug where it would sit untouched until I threw it out six hours later. I find in these dialed in some music on Spotify. I can't bear to have even one customer in the store without music. It's too intimate. The silence, like waiting on people in your underwear. I popped on Susanna McCorkle's Waters of March because it had been going through my head since the night before. Such a beautiful classic song, but there's something about her version that is alternately life-affirming and soul-destroying. Knowing she'd jump to her death adds to the feeling... I'd gone online to find out more about her after Fresh Air played a Christmas concert she'd recorded in 1988, one of those names I used to see in cabaret and nightclub ads in New York City, but could never afford to see or just always thought, someday I will. A stone, it's the end of the road, it's feeling alone, it's the weight of your load. It's a sliver of glass. It's life. It's the sun. It's night. It's death. It's a knife. It's a gun. A flower that. Almost ready, I strapped my mask on and I unlocked the door. Customers stumbled in, blinking, pulling up masks. Some say hi. Some ignore me when I say hi. Some literally rear back like they've been struck. You spoke to me? Yeah, I remember living in the city. The bossa nova warmed the room all the way up to the spectacular wooden ceiling. The customers rolled in in waves. My coffee sat untouched as I checked for books and inventory, ordered special requests. A teenage boy with a curly ponytail asked if we had anything by Rimbaud and my eyes welled up. I didn't dare correct his pronunciation thinking that's something you just pick up in time and what did it really matter anyway? I thrilled to us being players in a drama that has been enacted for many years in bookstores everywhere, and I hoped his eyes and mind would always be so wide open and unafraid of being wrong. A lady bought a book I'd placed on an easel on top of a shelf. Partly this looks interesting, and partly this book is hard to categorize and so small it will get swallowed up if shelved. Oh, good, I said. I keep thinking that looks good, but having somebody buy it is almost like reading it myself. She looked at me like I was insane, and I guess I did sound a little nuts, but it had been a few hours, and I was getting hungry. I mean, I tried to explain myself, there's a shitload of books in this store. I can't really read all of them. That didn't seem to help. "'Well, then how do you choose the inventory?' she said, "'and I mumbled something about the store owner "'doing a lot of research and sales reps and catalogs. "'I started to feel like somebody telling a kid "'there is no Santa Claus.'" People began ordering beer. It used to be pretty simple as only the dewiest-cheeked youngsters needed their IDs checked, but now I can't see anyone's face and we need to check vaccination cards for people to unmask and drink in here.'" One guy splayed out five vaccination cards and five passports in a row on the bar as his family stood in a line. And I suddenly felt like an immigration officer, not wanting to look like I was scrutinizing too hard, like they were suspicious or that I was profiling them. And I said, I don't think I'm cut out for this. And the guy laughed and said it was okay. He was the only one of the group who even wanted a drink. Vasa time had long ago ended after cycling through some Joe Beam and Catano Veloso, I'm probably doing a Rimbaud, and pronouncing those both wrong. And we had passed through three different sets, each one bookended by Donovan's Season of the Witch. Is it just my listening habits or does everybody get Season of the Witch when the soundtrack from Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid ends? And then it comes up again and again, Nilsen Schmilson followed by Season of the Witch, Emmett Rhodes with a Season of the Witch palate cleanser. I met Donovan once at a music festival and he was thoroughly charming, but I'm not obsessed with him. But I will take Season of the Witch over silence any day. Charles came in and stood by the register, asking if anybody he knew was in the store and what were all these out-of-towners doing here and how was he going to kill the next two hours? Charles must live in an assisted living community. He draws portraits and tries to get money from the customers for them. He's kind of a genius about TV shows and sports teams. And even though I always threatened to banish him for taking up too much time and space, having him inconveniently around is part of what makes the bookstore bar home. I've worked here for years and there's been juicy Jeff who always just wanted a glass of water and Everyone claimed was brilliant, singing karaoke. And Earl, the painter, both R.I.P. And Bill, who sounds like a parrot and collects cans and bottles. And the lonely trucker and just so many characters who add color to the place. We arrived in the area ten years ago at what was maybe the end of the good old days, when the town was still cheap and small enough. Nowadays, the visitors outnumber and overshadow the regulars. But sometimes we see each other and nod and say hello then scurry back home to let the visitors have their fun. Charles can get a little pushy with his artwork, but his heart is good and he always makes a point to notice what I'm wearing and compliment me if he thinks I got my shirt-slash-jeans-boots combo just right. Or maybe he does it to butter me up. I don't know. It doesn't matter because he's Charles and he's a fixture. I noticed all the stools were back around the bar, which is a first since before the pandemic. I kept checking Vax cards and IDs and pouring beer, and season of the witch came around again. Tending bar in a mask sucks, but after a while, you kind of forget. I scrolled through Twitter for a sec and saved Jamie Attenberg's New Yorker essay about Williamsburg in the 2000s to read later. I closed right at 5 p.m. and felt exhausted. I counted up and cleaned and hauled myself out the front door. Warren Street was dark and almost empty by this point, just like the old days when I got home, I read the essay and felt envious. I'd written my own version of a My City Was Gone piece for the Village Voice back in 2018, and I thought she did such a beautiful job of conveying that in-between era of my former neighborhood. It was an era I saw only as a visitor, not a resident, so the old stomping grounds had already slipped out of my grasp, She takes herself to task for being a gentrifier, but I don't see how that works. If you're just a working artist, you have to live somewhere, and is it your fault the fabulous always follow? I could look back from my 70s, perhaps, and write about what it was like back in the early 20s, but I'm worried I won't actually remember the details, so I do it now happy to have a part-time job to remind me that life goes on as I wonder what my future of putting out work and touring will amount to. I sell other people's books while I try to write another one of my own, listen to other people's music while I keep working on music of my own, and check vax cards and IDs to place a beer in front of customers, happy to stroll around in this beautiful place I call home. Is there anywhere to eat, they ask? Is there anything good we should see? Is the parking really free? I nod and smile beneath my mask, happy to help share a little joy. You've been listening to Diary of Amy Rigby. Thank you so much for listening. Happy New Year and see you again soon.